Welcome to episode 43 of the Antinu Energy Transition podcast. Today it's about transforming Norway or how to solve the Norwegian energy transition dilemmas. And my guest today is Lars Hendrik Michelsen, who is the director of the Norwegian Climate Foundation. So let's go. Norway has always been looking for ways to secure uh, an eternal life for the oil and gas industry. And before we start with this episode with Lars Henrik Mikkelsen, I wanted to make you aware one more time about the Antenu Energy Transition Conference, which takes place on the 21st of March here in Trondheim. So be very welcome to join us. There will be about 600 people who want to accelerate the energy transition. And on the day before, there will be the first meeting of the Green Energy Shifters, which is our young professional network of young professionals that are passionate about accelerating the energy transition. And this network is for people who have finished their studies, but are still under 40, because we have the feeling that such a network is needed in Norway. And that's why we are building it. So if you're interested in that, and if you fit into that age bracket, then please join us on the 20th in the afternoon it starts at three o'clock so you could come on monday morning then at three o'clock you start with us and with the green energy shifters and then the next day is the Antenu energy transition conference all the information you need you will find in the show notes so now let's get started with this episode and i hope you enjoy welcome to episode 43 of the engine energy transition podcast and today it's about transforming norway how to solve the Norwegian energy transition dilemma. And I'm very happy to have a little bit of a different voice today. And his name is Lars Hendrik Pardo Michelsen, and he's the director of the Norwegian Climate Foundation. And while in the last weeks and months, we several times had voices from the fossil fuel industry, I'm really looking forward to actually have Lars Hendrik's take on the energy transition and how we get out of this dilemma that we're going to talk in a minute. And um, so I'm very happy to have him on board today. Lars Hendrik studied in Bergen and in Oslo and is now for a couple of years already the director of the Norwegian Climate Foundation. So welcome to the podcast, Lars Henrik. Thank you so much. When did you when did you start as director at the Klima Stiftelsen? I think it was around 2015. I started working for the Climate Foundation in 2012. So I've been there for quite a, some time and uh, I became the director in yeah around 2015, I think. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Lars Henrik, give the audience a little bit of an idea who you are, what you've done. And why is it that you work for the for the Climate Foundation, for the Norwegian Climate Foundation? What is it what gets you up in the morning? Well, um, as I said, I've been working for quite some time now for the Norwegian Climate Foundation. Um, and I, I've always been interested in uh, climate change issues, energy transition issues, and environmental issues in, in, in broad. And many people ask me, oh, you have been there for so long time, and uh, how do you motivate yourself? And that's not a problem because uh, discussing climate change issues today is so different from what it was around 2012. Uh, now it's like the core of every political discussion and every discussion on how to uh, develop the society. So climate change has gone from being like very a niche to become like a major topic in society. And also the topics that we're discussing now are so, so different. So... Um, What motivates me is that every day I learn something new and I really have to learn something new in order to be relevant. And uh, the Norwegian Climate Foundation, we are a think tank. So uh, we cooperate a lot with uh, academic institutions like universities, uh, uh, scientific institutions and, and so on, research institutions. Um, and what we do 
publishing work is our main activity, like uh, publishing reports, policy briefs. We have seminars and uh, breakfast meetings, online courses. So we do a lot of things. But the target is to provide knowledge that could help decision makers to speed up the energy transition. That's super good, yeah. And how many people are you right now at the Clean Master Justin? Listening to me, you would probably think that we are a couple of hundreds, but uh, we are <laughs> we are only seven. We have a staff of seven people, um, and we also have so we are and we are split uh, between Bergen, where I'm sitting, and Oslo, and we also have our own news um, magazine called Anashi Oklima, uh, where we provide journalism for the energy transition. And uh, Anashi Oklima also has a correspondent based in Brussels. So if you include that, we also have, uh, we, are, we are split between Bergen, Oslo and Brussels. So yeah. And you have a podcast, is that true? Is it Anashi Oklima podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or is that that's, from that's right. Yeah, that's, that's you, right. isn't it? Yeah. Which is really good. So I uh, recommend everyone to to give it a try. But it's Norwegian, isn't it? It's a Norwegian, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah, it's no. the second yeah. best podcast in Norway right now. This is this is the best. So uh, yeah, <laughs> stop flattering me. Stop flattering us. No, but thanks for for these nice words. So so let let let's paint the big picture, uh, Lars Henrik, and that is, can you give me your conception, or your idea, or your understanding? of where we are with the energy transition and climate action in Norway today? Well, if you, if you start with uh, the emissions, emissions-wise, uh, it's not going so good. Um, we have quite bold t- uh, targets, but if you look back f- till 1990 and up till 2021, Norway managed to cut nearly 25 uh, million tons of CO2. If we are, can you to, give uh, what's that in percentage? Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, it's it's less than five. It's uh, it's it's not much. So and and that's very different from the rest of Europe. So we spent thirty one years cutting two point five million tons CO2, and if we are to reach our target of reducing the emissions by fifty five percent by twenty thirty we must reduce the emissions by more than 3 million tons CO2 every year from now until 2030. So, in other words, uh, what we have done is not enough at all, so we really have to speed up. Uh, What's different from Norway uh, compared to other countries is that when it comes to our power sector, most of our electricity is uh, 100% renewable already, and that's thanks to hydropower, which we have been having in Norway for 100, 100 years. You also have some wind, but mainly hydropower, providing us clean energy. Still, 50% of the energy uh, demand in Norway is based on fossil energy. Uh, and there are three big uh, sectors uh, demanding uh, oil and gas and coal in Norway right now. It's the industry, transport, and oil and gas. So uh, offshore on the platforms, they uh, provide electricity or they produce electricity using gas turbines. So when I say that we have a 100% electric, uh, uh, clean grid, that's then we exclude what's happening offshore. So we have quite a big uh, way to go still. 
there are some positive signs. Uh, like Norway is really good when it comes to transport sector. We have come really far when it comes to decarbonizing the uh, the light vehicles, the uh, your car and my car. So in twenty twenty two, nearly eighty percent of every new sold car in Norway was fully electric. Uh, and that's, I think, a world record, probably. Uh, and also, we have, uh, like, uh, ferries. And uh, we, we see that we have uh, quite a lot of electric ferries. Right now, we have 79. Going back to 2015, we had only one. And that tells us that it's, it is possible to create some changes uh, quite fast if you really put effort uh, into it. But... Uh, again, on other sectors like uh, road transport, when it comes to heavy vehicles, when it comes to um, industry, we have a, still a long way to go. And can you maybe tell us a bit more about, you know, you just mentioned the industry. Like, I think heavy heavy transport is quite quite straightforward. That's heavy trucks, uh, several tons of, of freight goods that they, uh, that they transport, and they normally still have diesel engines. Um, so I guess that's kind of straightforward, but... What is it when you talk about industry? Where are where does the where do the emissions come from, and in what kind of sectors is it that these emissions come from? Well, um, yeah, that that's a good question because we have um, if you go if you go to uh, if I can uh, make a short commercial for we have we have this um, climate portal called tilnull.no. Towards zero. Yeah, to but zero. you, you yeah. have to mm. uh, to use the Norwegian name uh, in your I, in your I put, browser. It, I put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect. And there you can see uh, we have split all the Norwegian uh, emissions into sectors, and soon we also also have a module of the energy use in in Norway split into different different sectors. The problem is that when it comes to industry, like uh, as you said, when it comes to transport, for some. Uh, sector of the transport sector, it's uh, it's it's very straightforward what to do. You switch from um, uh, the fossil fuel, uh, gas, gasoline, or diesel to an electric mot motor. Uh, when it comes to industry, it's not that straightforward all, uh, always. Uh, and heat uh, is one one thing. And but many many look at electri electrification is also one solution in the industry sector. So that's 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 easy part. But but not everywhere, isn't it? Like when you create when you make cement or when you have pulp and paper, you you, you require heat still, and yeah. this can't always come from electricity. No, and uh, then some will uh, point to hydrogen, where you can uh, uh, replace coal, for instance. Uh, but again, then we touch into the really big problems in Norway or the difficulties because right now we don't have a value chain for hydrogen and this is like the hen and egg problems like the industry they won't replace fossil fuel with hydrogen if there are no supply and no one wants to produce if there is no market and here's uh, where we are at the moment. I think this is probably the situation in uh, most European countries right now, where where you 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 will need some support uh, from the from the government in order to create this this market. And there are several uh, initiatives and there are several plans 
But many of the uh, market actors, they are waiting for like a call from the government. What can we expect? Mm. If anyone of you in the audience listening to this right now are interested also in learning more about the, the situation of hydrogen, in the last episode we talked with, I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Ott Evan Jakobsen from Gasco, and we also talked about the German-Norwegian Hydrogen and CO2 Corporation. There we also talked about hydrogen uh, supply chains. Um, just uh, here comes another commercial for the previous episode. No, but that, that, um, yeah, that, that's that's good, and I think um, in in Norway we have some really good support schemes when it comes to introducing new technology. Like if you are the first one to introduce CCS, for instance, which is carbon capture and storage. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, or if you are the first one to 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 uh, to build an electric ferry, we have some really good support schemes. But when it comes to rolling out uh, zero emission technologies uh, at scale really fast, the in incentives are not so good. And I think that's where there's a mismatch between what we need and what the po uh, politics uh, is delivering right now. What's good, though, is that the political um, or the politicians in the Norwegian parliament, they have all agreed that the cost of emitting CO2 will increase steadily till 2,000 Norwegian kroners uh, per ton by 2030. Uh, so this means Norway is not part of the European emission trading system? Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah. But we, we are saying the that... prices just for the first time went over 100 euros yesterday, I think. So there's also some price signals coming in from there. Yeah, yeah, we are also part of that. But we are saying that the total, we also have like uh, this CO2 tax. So uh, many companies, they will pay both. Uh, they are both part of the uh, EU ETS and you also have to pay a CO2 tax in, in Norway. But the total of the uh, carbon market and the CO2 tax, th that will increase to 2,000 Norwegian kroners uh, by 2030. Which is about 200 euros, which is double the price of what the uh, price yeah. signal from the EU ETS currently is. Yeah. Yeah. So if the EU ETS price uh, will increase uh, till 200 euros uh, per ton, that, that will mean that will be the, the limit. But it, it means that the, the signal to the, to, the, to the market is quite strong, that uh, you have to calculate that emitting will be more costly in the future. Mm. And do you feel that companies are feeling that already? Uh, like, is it part of their... Uh, of their of their uh, of their um, economic concerns of their strategic concerns, I, th I think so, and I think also some. Um, I think when they look up, look at some of the projects that they have perhaps put uh, uh, put away uh, in the in the past, they will probably see that okay, perhaps this doesn't look so uh, bad anyway anyway because of the cost C two cost will will increase. But as an NGO, I must say that it, one of the most difficult things is to know because there is a tendency that businesses, they are so eager to cut emissions, they are so eager to transform their uh, business, but as long as the state is paying. So it's very difficult to understand. Uh, you know, I understand where businesses will point to politicians to say that, okay, you really have to, to finance this. But also, I think it's, you know, even in Norway, you can't spend public money on everything. So what 
what are the really needed subsidies and what could be paid by the businesses themselves. That's not so easy to always to find out because everyone is shouting for more public money. But but I think the um, the CO two tax and the, the policy on that is uh, is is helping. Uh, but I think when it comes to like industry, as we said, building new value chains, I think there's no way than the public must help to kick this uh, market. Uh, mm. Yeah, on. Let's maybe like thanks for that, and let's maybe now move to what I feel is like kind of the big elephants in the room, and I feel there's there's maybe two. Um, and the, the first one would be uh, oil and gas. Like how long, like well, when is the time? Like we all know we live in a world where oil and gas and, you know, can't be burned forever. Um, so let's say, how do you assess the current situation with oil and gas? Is that like, is that really like a big elephant in the room as I feel it? Or like what's your take? And then the second one is when we think about future hydrogen value chains, I feel that when you talk with Germans who will buy most of the hydrogen being produced in Norway, they want green hydrogen. While I feel here in Norway, it's very much about, okay, how can we make use of the current gas fields that we have? Let's sell a lot of blue hydrogen, um, where there is also some challenges with its fugitive emissions. So maybe can on these two topics, can you give us an, can you give us an, us and the audience an, an, an idea of like, how do you assess the situation? What's the role? Like, how does oil and gas develop? And How do you envision or what's the challenges with, with hydrogen? But maybe let's start with oil and gas. Yeah. Well, I think uh, what you're saying about blue hydrogen is a good example of um, the way of thinking among Norwegian decision, like the establishment in Norway. Because, you know, there are no sectors which are so profitable yeah, than you oil pick, and gas. You poke, you poke a hole in the in the ground and money comes out, kind of. And that's a crazy dilemma to get out of that business model, isn't it? Why would anyone get out of that business model? Yes. Yeah. Why especially now? What's different now? No, well, um, we, we have like a debate uh, in, in Norway where you have like um, uh, environmentalists and then you have the established uh, interest groups and uh, the biggest parties like on different sides. Uh, and We are really not. We are. We are arguing, like uh, knocking ourselves in, in in the head with different arguments. But we are not really uh, looking for solutions. And I think that's that's the problem. So we are like shouting to each other. Um, but when I say that the situation has changed uh, since the war in Ukraine, because I think many decision makers in Norway now are blended by the short-term need from Europe uh, of more uh, alternative to Russian gas. So when German politicians or uh, Ursula von der Leyen or other politicians from Europe are coming to Norway and say that we will buy everything that you can produce. It's very difficult for Norwegians uh, to say that, no, we will... Uh, Everyone in Norway would agree, yes, we should do that. And uh, But the problem is that when you translate that um, demand, short-term demand, uh, into like a long-term strategic uh, strategy, that's what, when you have problems. So every politician in Norway today, uh, today would agree that, okay, we should really, really uh, provide gas to the European market uh, as much as we can. But 
that is another uh, discussion then should we open the Arctic or Barents Sea for um, new uh, exploration projects so I think that's that's the that's the balance that we are struggling with Norway how to balance the short-term demand with a long-term uh, strategy because I think it's important in Norway to understand that while Europe is replacing Russian gas with gas from Norway and from the Middle East and everywhere else they also are speeding up the energy transition. And we may end up being left uh, left on the platform uh, and wake up one day and uh, the, the Europe is demanding much less fossil fuels than they used to. And what then? Uh, will we still be mm. an energy nation or will we be only uh, be, uh, be left with spreaded assets in the oil and gas sector? So that's, that's I think, that's the really... That's the elephant, and that's that's the difficult dis- discussion in Norway. And I think what's really serious is that, um, well, one thing is that we we don't agree on the strat- strategy, but we also see that the oil and gas sector right now, they are, uh, well, the brightest engineers and the brightest minds in Norway, they are now working into in the oil and gas sector. That's where where everyone gets. Uh, less money every month in the oil and gas sector is, has never been better. So that's where you earn the big money. That's where the uh, good engineers go. And we lack people. Like in many European countries, we really need people to work with uh, the new energy solutions. And uh, yeah, in every sector, we need, we need uh, capacity. And also the investments are going into the oil and gas sector. So the biggest investments... They're put into how to develop more oil and gas fields. And I think that's that is not a challenge today. We won't see the consequences today, but the consequences may we may face the consequences in 10, 15 years. And that's yeah. Mm. That's challenging, yeah. And then for example, these ideas that I feel that it's very often how do you say the tuned or torn in uh, in Norwegian media is that oh we'll decarbonize oil and you also mentioned that uh, uh, like some couple of minutes ago and saying um, all the energy or all the electricity that's being produced um, uh, needed on the platforms will come from renewable energy sources so they put or it's kind of planned to build offshore wind parks around rigs so that these rigs then are being um, yeah supplied with renewable electricity is that how do you assess that is that like a fig is that a fig um, leaf to say yeah our oil is the most the cleanest oil um or do you think of when you look at the numbers that this this really has impact this is really what we should do with clean energy that we are kind of struggling to to deploy as well on the norwegian like on the national level it's not that it's super easy to deploy renewable ele- uh, energy infrastructures in norway no well, there are many discussions and uh, sub sub questions to to what you're asking mm-hmm. about. But uh, let me start by saying that Norway has always been looking for ways to secure uh, an eternal life for the oil and gas industry. And when I started working with uh, climate change issues and energy issues, uh, CCS was a much bigger part of the Norwegian story than it is today, because the story then was that. No, uh, gas power plants is not a problem because we can just uh, bury the CO2 in in the ground and then you have uh, CO2-free uh, 
yes, clean, pens. clean yeah. energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and from and and that was the story for many years. And that was like a license to keep drilling, keep looking for more resources. That was CCS was uh, had that role. Now blue hydrogen has that role because it's not a gas that is a problem because we can transform gas into hydrogen and just we can um, store the CO2 in the in the reservoirs in the in the North Sea and then everything is fine so we all we have always been looking for ways to uh, to secure the future for the oil and gas industry um, and as you said uh, earlier like in German the discussion of hydrogen they are more preferring green hydrogen from renewable renewable energy. Um, so there is a, and then uh, you have after the war. I must say that the oil and gas industry they've always been saying that okay, no way we provide oil and gas with less emissions from production and the rest of the world, and we also why well, we have clean democratic oil, uh, so to say. And after the war in Ukraine, you could argue that actually that has. There is a premium price on being a democratic uh, country uh, providing oil and gas uh, resources, um, but it, it, but still, for how long will that last? That's that's uh, one question. And also in Norway, we have this discussion of, you know, everything we said about industry, transport, everything that we are have to do in order to reduce emissions, electrification. That's the main task. And what we are seeing now is that increase in demand of electricity uh, is reducing the surplus that we in normal years have when it comes to power in the power sector. And uh, isn't there expectations that in twenty in twenty six or twenty seven there won't be any surplus anymore? Yeah, I think that so I we, read a report from NVE or something. Yeah, that's correct. So within a five year period, we may uh, ending up as a net importer, not exporter, uh, as we normally is. And there are many uh, problems. Um, for one thing, it's like in many countries, uh, many people look at offshore wind as a long-term solutions. But what do we do from now until 2030 uh, or mid-2030s? Uh, wind energy on land is problematic, is unpopular. Uh, we don't have much solar so fast. There is a potential there for, for growth. We have built out so much of the dams, uh, well, the, the the lakes and, and so on. So there's a limit how much po uh, hydro power we can uh, build out. So that's not the that's a challenge. And then you have the so from that we have a discussion. Okay, if the surplus of power is increase uh, is decreasing and may disappear in a f in a few years time. How should we like um, spend the the electricity? Is it is the right thing to do is to electrify the um, oil and gas installations offshore? Um, and that's that's one big debate. If Norway are to reduce our emissions in in line with the Norwegian uh, climate targets, we must electrify uh, the platforms offshore. But th that may also cause that we don't have enough electricity for pro providing green hydrogen or or um, green ammonia for the shipping sector or or whatever. 
So that's that's a big uh, discussion in Norway right now. How to um, yeah, what to do with the electricity? Mm. And when when we when we talk about electricity or when we talk about wind farms, there's been quite a lot of buzz in the media, or I feel even some maybe it's not the right word, but a little bit of nationalism there, uh, of like, where will these new wind power parks be connected to? And uh, I feel a little bit of like, they should only be connected to the Norwegian mainland because we need the electricity. While it, the question is, does it make sense to have, um, to have countries thinking only about their own yeah, uh, energy transition or their energy demand, uh, while we actually live in a quite interconnected peaceful europe what's your take on that what are what are what are you hearing what are your what are your concerns maybe well there are two topics that is really problematic in the norwegian public debate we have been talking about oil and gas and the future what to do uh, when do we stop searching for oil and gas but the second one is how should we be linked to europe and as you know norway is not a member of the eu unfortunately but we are adopting most of the eu laws uh, but when it comes to electricity, we have seen a very nationalistic, I would say, or um, approach where everyone knows that if we are to build out offshore wind and at large scale, so even though we need electricity in Norway, it doesn't make sen sense. Well, it's not possible to build a really big offshore wind market in Norway and not be interlinked with the rest of Europe. So in order to make this uh, business uh, logic for business business model, you must be connected both to the European markets or the different markets, so where you can send electricity where they pay the most. The alternative is that the state must uh, subsidize uh, the electricity from uh, offshore wind farms even even more. So there is a brist in logic there, I, I think, for many many politicians and. Uh, I think also the high prices and, and so on, people are uh, are turning uh, the back to Europe and saying that, okay, we should um, secure our own future, we should uh, provide electricity for ourselves, Norwegian industry and so We've on. We've seen how well that works with Brexit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very well. So we should uh, <laughs> copy that. So, But I think that's, that's a really big problem. And there is... I must say that it's really important that the Norwegian government, that the responsible politicians in parliament, that they really stand up for European cooperation. Because what we know as a fact is that we must speed up the energy transition in order to meet the climate uh, climate targets. And if you want to do it the most cost costly way, then every country should uh, only take care of themselves and not cooperate. But if you want to do it the most uh, less costly and you want to move most efficiently then you must cooperate also when it comes to electricity mm. when we pre when we had a little pre-talk two days ago uh Hendrik, you used this word uh, this idea of energy islands and that kind of really stuck with me in my brain so that's why it's your yeah. word but i just wanted to bring it into this episode because um it makes sense like this 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 idea or this metaphor that if you work on if you live on your own island you just you know you look for what you have there and you have a little room and you can produce something one thing yeah. whatever you need and but then you don't you don't have the opportunity to exchange with others and to see where your product might be in need right now while you might 
use it again in a couple of weeks, then this becomes very challenging. I think this is kind of a nice metaphor when it's when we think about electricity markets on the European scale. Yeah. And I think if 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 you ask me why is it so? Well I think there are probably some historic reasons. And in Norway, because we have, you know, um so much uh, of our electricity comes from hydropower, which means that we have uh, like, um, okay, we have accepted that you um, destroy some of the uh, waterfalls, water, nature, waterfalls, na nature. So electricity in Norway or hydropower has been named silverware in the Norwegian debate. What does that mean? That means that this is really valuable. Like the the, na the clean nature, the beautiful nature in Norway, we have like sacrificed some of it in order, in order to produce electricity. So and um, so and I think for for some reason people think that okay since since this is so valuable we should keep it for ourselves and we should really be uh, be uh, like skeptical when it comes to sending electricity out of the country. But time changes and uh, the situation in the beginning of the uh, yeah nineteen hundred is different different from what it is today. So. Um, I agree with what you said that we should not be like an energy island. We must be connected to uh, to the rest of the the European continents. Mm. And also, and also, just to, just to add, add that, as we said, Norway may end up being a net importer if we don't uh, increase the production of electricity. And we also know that in Germany, in UK and uh, different Scandinavian countries, all the countries that we have interconnectors with today. When it comes to 2030, they will have, they will have been going a far way in uh, getting a 100% clean energy mix. Uh, in Germany, they have a target of 80% uh, renewables in uh, 2030 and uh, something around the same in, in UK, which means that being connected to those markets will mean that we can also uh, import cheap electricity for more, much, many more hours than we do today. So I think that this will look quite differently when we um, when we come to the end of this uh, century. Yeah, for example, when there's a storm over the UK with their wind farms, then it's going to be cheap electricity for all of all of Europe, and and yeah. then when there's yeah, a lot of sun again in Central Europe. Then there's also be a lot of like cheap electricity available, and I think that's that's probably the, what you're pointing to, isn't it? That it would yeah. make sense to not have like why not tapping into that as well? Yeah. So it's it's it will be a very dumb decision if we say that okay today we will, uh, as we as some say, cut the cables uh, mm. when we have we'll have. Uh, it will be in our interest to be connected in uh, in a few years time. Yeah, let's Henry, can you we're going kind of towards the end of this episode, but can you give me an idea from your perspective where we are with uh, deploying solar um, and wind onshore offshore um, in, in Norway right now? Like, what are the, what are the challenges? Uh, do you see positive developments? Um, where are we? Well, is social said, acceptance the, the biggest problem, the biggest challenge, or are there other things? Like in, in Germany, it's a lot of bureaucracy, takes super long to get wind farms, not just because of social acceptance challenges, but also because, you know, the processes with the municipalities are taking so long. Like, what, what's your take? Where where are we there right now? 
it's the same in Norway. Uh, it's taken so um, a lot, uh, a lot of time. Uh, for the last three years, there have been a complete stop in uh, processing any new any new projects, uh, and that has of course caused some of the problems mm. uh, in Norway. That's in wind, the, wind uh, onshore, isn't it? Wind onshore wind. Yeah. Uh, so what the politicians are doing now is that they want to make it more lucrative economically for the municipalities to uh, accept wind farms onshore. So they will keep more of the uh, revenues. But then again, uh, it's it will be... I know you have some new projects that are looking for approval, and uh, so it will be very interesting to see if um, they will get the acceptance. So the government is saying that they won't approve any projects where there is no local support. Mm-hmm. So... Um, new onshore wind projects must they rely on local support uh, fully mm-hmm. of, um, offshore wind i think most of the political parties in parliament they will agree that uh, that is the long-term um, solution but again we have been delaying this offshore wind debate for so long and mostly because we didn't need the electricity now we do uh, but we are but sure wind farms are, behind. Yeah, are not being built in in eighteen months or something. Not at all. <laughs> or twenty four. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So the capacity target that we have, like for two two years, uh, we have thirty gigawatts by twenty forty. That's the uh, that's the target. But I mean, when it comes to twenty thirty, there won't be very much offshore wind in in Norway. That's for sure. So right now we are opening opening up new areas, and uh, right now we are also waiting. We, there are two areas where the government has said that okay, we will uh, deploy offshore wind first, uh, and we are waiting now for details around what kind of support schemes will be established and and so on. Solar, to, actually today there came some came the government came some news uh, to um, to um, get rid of some of the bureaucracy around. Uh, uh, small-scale solar uh, and there is an increase but you know starting from nearly zero it will take some time before you can see it on the statistics of the the Norwegian power supply but I think um, I think solar will will increase in Norway and you know looking at for instance the Netherlands they got nearly 50% of the electricity from uh, from uh, solar last year in 2022 Going back to 2015, they only got 1% of their electricity from solar. So if you deploy this really fast, it really can't, it's, it's possible to make a big difference. Mm. So, um, and, you know, because of this, uh, we uh, we also have like this uh, growing debate on nuclear in Norway. And, uh, you know, for... For me as a German, that sounds so odd. Yeah. Because what do you do with the waste? What do you, uh, when you look at nuclear power plants all around Europe, where we have them in the UK and Sweden, the prices run away and it's becoming way more expensive than, uh, than it was initially planned. And it's a technology that's been around for 60 years. And normally you would think that you would incentivize or subsidize new technologies to develop, but not a technology that's been around for 60 years. So to me, this is completely odd, but I'm super biased since I'm German as well. So <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's, uh, that, I, I, I agree. But uh, 
the opponents, they are pointing out that, uh, okay, but it's not the old nuclear and this is the small modular reactors that we uh, that we want. Uh, often forgetting that uh, we, we haven't seen any of these small modular reactors um, power plants yet, so we don't really know the cost and what the uh, holdable function. But, uh, so what we know for sure is that nuclear is not a short-term answer in Norway. But, and for me, I, I'm afraid that you you even have some politicians now in uh, in, in, in serious politicians in, in Norway pointing to um, nuclear. But I'm fearing that that will be like a distracting distraction from really having Cheap to renewables. take some decisions now. Yeah. So we can wait. And I think that will be really, really dif- uh, yeah problematic for, for, for Norway. Yeah. So and and um, you know, the electricity providing enough electricity uh, at low cost, I would say that that's right now that's the most important target uh, when it comes to the status of the energy trans- transition in Norway, because so so many of the solutions that we are discussing, they are relying on uh, renewable energy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, Les Henrik. So, so we talked about all these dilemmas. It's like, okay, we Norway thinks it's clean, but we're not that clean. There's a lot of emissions from industry. Not, not so much has happened. What's the role of oil and what's the role of gas? When will we stop investing into that? Um, do we want to export blue hydrogen or green hydrogen? Yes, we need wind offshore, but maybe not so fast. Or could we speed it up? How could we speed it up? And then obviously the, the role of nuclear in, in the end. And then we also have a little bit of sometimes nationalistic sentiments when it comes to the integration with Europe. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot of energy transition related dilemmas in this country uh, as it is in every other country so looking forward what will be maybe your your one two three wishes um and recommendations for for people but also for politicians like what what where do you see that we can overcome these challenges and this what's the right word dissolute um these dilemmas so looking forward what what are your what are your recommendations what's your what are your wishes for for the energy transition in norway but also in europe and beyond well i think my first recommendation or wish, uh, if you want, uh, you know, in 2022, the revenues, the oil and gas revenues for the Norwegian state, you won't believe it when yeah. you see the figures. Yeah, I know. They are enormously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, the politicians now, uh, wisely, I said that, okay, we should spend some of those money uh, on Ukraine. And I think that's that's really good. But still, this is uh, undoubtedly a war-related profit. We didn't expect it. We don't need it. And I think that we should spend a lot on that also on helping Europe to speed up the energy transition. And um, that's not only because it's morally right, but it's also in Norway's own interest. Because uh, Europe is our biggest uh, market, trading partners, uh, allies. So it's, a, it's a, in our own interest that Europe succeed to become independent of Russian energy. And the only long-term solution to that is to speed up the energy transition. And Norway can help by financing some of the solutions. Because w- what we must remember is that Europe is very divided when it comes to the ability to pay for uh, a transition. 
like the situation is quite different in Germany, France, uh, perhaps Italy than in some of the Eastern European countries. So I think here Norway could do a, uh, a big difference. Also, I think that we should spend some of the uh, the war profits on climate fi finance in the developing world. It's a really, really negative trend when you look at the um, in clean energy investments and you see how African countries are lagging behind. And uh, that's, I think, is uh, a big problem. And I think if Norway had done that, said that, okay, we will put some of this money from 2022 and perhaps even this year, if the revenues will also be uh, historically uh, high, I think perhaps that could also be of inspiration to other democratic oil and gas countries uh, and other countries in, in general to say that, okay, we, we really stand up and uh, put money into this transition. I think that could be of inspiration. Um, in Europe, I really, really hope that, uh, you know, politically everything is, I think, from Norway, from what I'm I'm uh, experiencing, I, th I think that um, the way the pol politicians has uh, acted after the war in Ukraine has been uh, of great... Uh, yeah, I've been inspired and I really think they've done great. Um, and I really hope that the market will, uh, like the transformation, that will um, really sp speed up in line with the political ambitions. That We don't have a guarantee for that, but that's, uh, that's my goal. And I think globally, I think it's very much up to Europe to show that decarbonizing the economy is possible. So it's, uh, you know, U.S. also, but, uh, but after Trump, everything about U.S. is more unstable. So I really think that uh, Europe must show, like, uh, leadership in this. Uh, and when you then, when you now say Europe, does that include Norway then? Because sometimes, you know, when you talk with Norwegians, they always say Europe when they mean countries from the European Union. But technically, Norway is part of the European continent. But so when you say Europe now, what are you referring to? Uh, e e EU uh, and then Norway of course should become a member of EU but that's, that's, not a, that's another story <laughs> but uh, I think e e EU um, mm. yeah. and, and then you know we know the good thing is that we know what to do we know the solutions to many of the um, you know the dilemmas the, yeah. Yeah, or the, the and, questions, or, and many of yeah, the sectors the which need to be decarbonized mm. we know what to do but you really must build new value change, new business models. And I think Norway could take leadership in some of those uh, some, some of those new value change. For instance, within the shipping mm. sector, where we have like uh, uh, the knowledge, capacity, we have the industry. We have done some when it comes to short sea, ferries and, and so on. But we could really show leadership when it comes to deep sea shipping. And that could be a really big contribution also uh, worldwide. Mm, yeah. So in order to meet the, the climate goals, we must also dig into the hard-to-abate sectors. Yeah, yeah. So, Lassenrik, there's also obviously, you know, students listening to this, young professionals listening to this, and you, 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 you mentioned, I don't know, in the first 10 minutes, you, you mentioned that the many smart brains continue to go into oil and gas in Norway because this is where the money is. 
Uh, what will be your message to 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 you know to the younger folks who are deciding maybe on where to, to spend their career on, or maybe they are in the oil and gas industry and kind of feel oh, maybe this is not where I want to contribute, or I will not feel comfortable when I'm 80 and I have grandchildren and I have to tell them that I worked in oil and gas for all my life and now we're rich, we have a big house, but I have a bad consciousness. <laughs> so what's your what's 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 your advice? What will be your your suggestion for these people? Well, first of all, I, I don't think that. Um, in in no way we say that um, the new industries they will have to lean on the old ones and they will build yeah. build on the old technologies and so the oil and gas sector will be like the fundament of the of the future industries. I don't think that's that doesn't have to be uh, necessarily right. I mean, look at the like in the car manufacturing industry, how Tesla. Uh, came out of the blue and completely changed the sector, and again forced like uh, Volkswagen and other big uh, manufacturing uh, companies to to change the business models. Um, so I think, and you also look at the, what what happened to the old utilities in Europe, um, which for, for too long uh, fighted against uh, solar and wind energy. So I don't think that's actually the um, the case, and so that leaves leaves students and other people who want to contribute to. Okay, if the if the job doesn't exist, perhaps you could uh, create it, and uh, be among those who will create the solutions that we need. So um, I think, yeah, that's that's my hope that more people will uh, look for new solutions and go for it, create jobs and cr create new new values. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a very nice nice way of actually ending this podcast. So um, because it, it's us, you know, it's like it's you deciding not to go into oil and gas. It's not that there, you know, oil and gas is not per se bad. It's it's been great for several decades, you know. But the question is, how much longer do we want to invest financial resources, knowledge resources into into that sector, unless it is get, it gets to be transformed very quickly? Super nice. Lars Hendrik, if people want to reach out to you or if they were interested in the work of the, the Climate Foundation, how, how can they reach you best? And I'm going to include these links that you're going to mention now in, in the show notes. Yeah, that's sending me an email. Uh, you can find that on klimastiftelsen.no. And also, since we are a, uh, a think tank publishing work, what we have done with big success many times is that when you have students or scientists and they want to like take part in the public debate, We have very often published reports or pub policy briefs uh, written by students or uh, scientists from the university sector. So you can also look at us as a platform for reaching out uh, more broadly than you normally do with uh, scientific work. Yeah, nice. And also, obviously, if you speak Norwegian, check out the, what is it, Energy or Klima uh, podcast. Um, yeah, and I'm also going to put that also in the uh, in the show notes, obviously. Hendrik, thanks a lot for joining me today. It was very nice to have you on board and see your perspective on the things. And let's let's get to work to yeah, solving these energy transition dilemmas here in Norway and and, and, and continued working on that one. And uh, thanks for joining me today. All the best to you and all the best to the Norwegian Climate Foundation. Take care. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. Bye.